haven't noticed, Justin's not here today. He wasn't feeling well. Uh, so just, he's doing well at home, but just wanted to let you know why he's not here today. Um, and I'll be sharing the word with you guys today. You, you don't have to cheer. <laughs> but I will say, last time I spoke, I said it was like November was the last time you heard me. So it looks like we're getting closer and, you know, in times that you hear me. And today's Palm Sunday, and usually on Palm Sunday, you probably would hear a sermon about Palm Sunday. But that's not the sermon I'm going to bring you guys today. So if that's what you came to hear, I apologize now for that. Um, but, and I don't know if I shared this with you guys before, but I, I grew up in, in youth ministry. That's like kind of where Ralph's back there because Ralph was one of my youth in my youth ministry. Um, but I grew up in youth ministry and I did youth ministry for 14 years. That is a long time to last in youth ministry. Um, and I didn't do youth ministry in a small youth ministry where like 15 kids and the pizza party nights. I did youth ministry where there was like five to 700 kids in the building on a Friday night. There was hip hop, there was spoken word, there was dance, there was all this stuff going on. Six, 700 kids youth, teenagers in the building at the same time, that was fun. That's where you really learn how to do ministry. But as I was thinking about today's sermon, I couldn't help but remember all the altar calls that were given um, at our youth ministry. And I remember there was, um, there was this one young man, won't say no names, but he would come to the altar Every single Friday to give his life to Jesus. Every Friday. Constantly just coming up. And um, where I was, I wasn't always able to get to all the people. There, there was a lot of people that would come onto the altar. Um, it was more, our altar calls were more of what I would call like a, like a, a fire hose spray. Where like, you know, they get the whole thing. So when they would make the altar call, they would cover every sin that they possibly could to get you to come up to the altar. If you wore sneakers today, come up to the altar. If you said a lie today, come up to the altar. Like, you just get people just coming up. So this kid would come up every week. And one Friday night, I had the opportunity to speak to him. And I asked him, why do you come up every week? And he begins to share with me his week and all the things that he would do wrong every single week. And then I said, well, you know that this is a call for salvation. And I started to explain to him salvation. And I said, once you give your life to Christ, you don't have to continually come up every week to give your life to Christ as if it was lost during the week. And he was like looking at me. And, you know, I shared with him that once you really have an encounter with Jesus, you walk away and you're different. You don't want to do those things that you did before you had that encounter with Jesus. And I remember that evening, he walked away, and he wasn't happy. He was sad. And I wish that the John that was today could speak to the John that was back then, because I could have explained it better. But he had a transactional relationship with Jesus. I go to you, you forgive me, 
I go back out and I do what I got to do. And then I go to you and you forgive me. And I go back out and do what I have to do. But Jesus, when we truly meet with him, it's a transformational relationship that we have for him, with him. It's not transactional. It's, trans, it's transformational. So we're literally, the person that was there, the moment that we got up, whether it was an altar call or in your apartment or wherever you were, that moment, you're not the same person anymore. There's a change. You're brand new. You go from old to new. And I wish that John today could have shared that with John back then so he could have shared that with that young man. And today, the story that we're going to read and we're going to be uh, diving into is a story of transformation. You should have the scripture uh, on your service sheet. It's Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Read along with me. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he'd become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass the, that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, come, come, oh, sorry, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But the people were displeased. He had gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half of my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this home today. For, the, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save those who are lost. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today, God. We thank you that it's truly a double-edged sword, Lord God. Separate soul from spirit, Lord God. And God, we pray, Lord God, that you, Lord God, would have your way in our hearts today. That you would give us ears to hear what you're saying and a heart that soil is ready to receive what you want to do in and through us, God. Pray that you would hide me, your servant, behind the cross, God. That I would just be your mouthpiece speaking to your people, Lord God. God, I pray that no one would leave here, Lord God, discouraged or less than, Lord God. But God, they would leave here rejoicing in who you are and who they are in you. And all this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So this story takes place in Luke chapter 19. And later on in Luke chapter 19, that's the entry or the story of Palm Sunday at the end of chapter 19. But this one has the road leading up to that, leading up to Jerusalem. And he takes it through Jericho. This is, yes, the same Jericho that we read about in the Old Testament that the Israelites circled and the walls fell, but it's been rebuilt. It's a city that is a trading city. There are spices and everything going on there. So it's a pass-through into Jerusalem, which is like the major city. So if you want to think about it, Jerusalem is Manhattan. Jericho is Brooklyn. So you have to walk, right? And there's multiple ways to get to Jerusalem, and Jesus takes this way through Jericho. And based on this story, the only reason that he went through Jericho was to meet Zacchaeus. And Jesus has done this throughout scripture. He's taken roads. He's taken ways that don't make sense to us. Don't make sense to his disciples. 
and it's just to meet one person, the woman at the well, right? Just one person he wants to meet, he wants to impact. Going across the lake to the other side just to meet the demon-possessed man to get back on the boat and head back to the other side. Like, this is the Jesus that we're talking about. And Zacchaeus, he's there, and he wants to see Jesus, but he's too short. Zacchaeus is the Frodo Baggins of this story. He can't see, he can't get up high enough to see over the crowd. I don't know how many people have lived in New York City their whole life or anything, but if you've ever been to like a Yankee parade or a giant parade or one of the other parades that happen in the city, right? Can you raise your hand and just let me know that you've been to one of the parades? All right, cool. So if you've ever been to a parade, if you get there late, what happens? all the way on like the inside, like you're touching the building kind of thing. And you can't see really what's going on. And if you're lucky, some of the players or the people that you want to see, they're on like raised floats. But a lot of times they're like in regular cars driving by and you can't see. And if you're not tall, right, you probably won't see over the heads of people. So you get there late. So you have to find a way to kind of see people. And Zacchaeus found a way. He's like, well, I'm too short. I can't make it all the way to the front. So I'm going to go climb up a sycamore tree. And I don't know what a sycamore tree looks like. I don't think there's any sycamore trees on 4th Avenue or 2nd Avenue or anything like that. So I'm guessing that it's a strong enough tree to hold a human being. So he climbs up the tree and he's going to wait there as Jesus gets ready to go by. Now, I thought of myself when I went to the parades and I went to the 1998 New York Yankees parade. Now, I went to school in lower Manhattan, literally like a block and a half away from the parade route, which is on Broadway. I got there late, so I was all the way in the back. But then my Yankees did it again. They won in 1999, and I went again in 1999. But this time, I didn't go to school. I just told my parents I was going to school, and then I went to the parade, and I got there. <laughs> my parents are not here, so they can't, I can't get a papao later. But, um, I went and I got there early and I was actually like right up against the, the, the gate that they put out on the street. And I got to see like all the players. And back then we didn't have digital cameras, guys. So I have film cameras. So I was like snapping pictures where you have to do the. Yeah, that's how that's how old I am. I have those cameras. So I remember being at that parade and I remember getting there early and getting a good seat and seeing all the players up close. So I could only picture Zacchaeus being a little guy, right? Can't see over the people. And he's like, all right, I got to come up with a way to see Jesus. So he climbs up this tree to get a good look at Jesus. And I think about us. We get to church or we want to see Jesus. So we try to find good ways to get to see Jesus. We might come to church, right? And... Maybe we don't, when we first come in, we're not like, we don't want to be seen, right, by everybody else. So we'll sit in the back and we'll chill out in the back, but we want to see what's going on. There might be people in this room that heard that for the last few weeks, the worship time has been so amazing. And uh, even after sermon, it's been so amazing and God's been doing some great things. So they're hearing about this from friends or family and they're like, I want to go check this out. But... I'm going to, like, stay off to the side. I'm going to sit on the side where nobody really notices me. I'm going to come in just as worship is starting so I don't have to say hello to people or get close to people, right? So you have those people that come in. 
but they, they're, they're eager to see. And this, this Zacchaeus, he's eager to see this Jesus. He heard about this miracle-working man, the man who was raising people from the dead, who was healing women from uh, 12 years of bleeding. He was, he, he was hearing all these miracles that Jesus was doing. He's like, I got to see this dude. He's coming through town. I may never get this chance again. I got to see this dude. So he climbs up a tree. He goes to see Jesus. But the amazing thing in the story is not that Zacchaeus yells out Jesus' name to get him to look like I was doing at the Yankee parade, yelling out, Jeter, Jeter, and I had my jersey on, Jeter, I love you. No. That was me. If you don't believe me, that was me. Um, I'm a Yankee groupie. Um, so Zacchaeus wasn't doing any of that. There's another story in the Bible of a guy named Blind Bartimaeus. And he was sitting by the side of the road, and Jesus was coming by, and he starts yelling, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And people are telling him to shut up. They're like, stop, say, stop, stop, it's Jesus, stop. But he wouldn't stop because he knows he needed to get his attention. But this wasn't Zacchaeus. He wasn't doing this. He's in this tree just hoping to get a glimpse, and Jesus is the one who stops, sees Zacchaeus, calls him by name, and asks him to come down. My first point is Jesus sees us, and he knows us. In the next two weeks, churches are going to be flooded with Zacchaeuses. This week and next week. It's one of the most packed times of the year for churches. This time and Christmas time, it's their religious obligation to come to church. It's some need that they have to be here. Maybe they're appeasing a loved one, right, who's been begging them, come to church. All right, I'll go to church on Easter. I'll go to church on Christmas. So they'll come through the doors, and they'll sit in for one service just to appease somebody else. But there's Zacchaeuses. They're there, and they're just getting a glimpse of this Jesus. Maybe they're doing it to appease somebody, but they're just getting a glimpse and when I said Jesus sees us and knows us, I have scripture to back that up as well. In Genesis 13, there is a story of Hagar, the maidservant of Sarah. And Hagar, um, Sarah and Abraham are supposed to have a son or have a child that was promised by God. They thought God was taking too long. So Sarah comes up with a good idea. Abraham, why don't you sleep with my maidservant? She'll have a child. It'll be our child. Don't know how that works, guys. Don't know how that works. Um, but it turns out it doesn't turn out too good, right? Hagar gets pregnant. Sarah despises her. Hagar flees to get away from the ridicule and the pain that she's being caused. And she takes her child and she runs away. And she runs into the desert and she's about to die. And God sends an angel to her to minister to her and to let her know, no, go back. He's like, I'll care for you. I'll bless you. Don't worry about it. And she names him the God who sees. And then the psalmist in 139 has writes a whole psalm about how God has put us together, how God knows us bit by bit. Not just the psalmist, but every single one of us in this room, every single person on this earth, God has put together bit by bit. Nobody is a mistake. And Jesus, in that moment, See Zacchaeus, 
And scripture, there's no other place where you see Jesus and Zacchaeus meeting. There's no meeting beforehand. He says, Zacchaeus, calls him by name. He doesn't say, hey, you, come down from here. No, no, no. Zacchaeus, come down. And when he tells him to come down, he doesn't tell him to come down just to have a brief interaction with him. He's like, no, I have to come and stay in your house today. Now, just a little backstory on Zacchaeus. It says that he's a chief tax collector. Do you know in scripture there's no other time that that term is used? This is the only time. Now, there's two schools of thought on that. Either he was the boss of all the other tax collectors in the region or he collected the most amount of money for the Roman government. Now, if you don't know, tax collectors were hated by the Jews. Tax collectors, they were actually Jews who betrayed their people to work for the Roman government. That was one reason why they were hated. The second reason why is because when they taxed, they usually taxed above what the actual tax rate was. So if the tax rate was 8%, they would charge you 2%, I mean 10%, and they would keep the extra two for themselves. That's how they got rich. That's how they got wealthy. And the Jewish people hated them so much that they excommunicated them from their Jewish community. They weren't allowed to go to synagogue. They weren't allowed to partake in all the other things that the Jews were partaking in. They actually separated them. That's how much they despised tax collectors. And Zacchaeus was despised even more because he was the chief tax collector. And when Jesus made that invitation to go over Zacchaeus' house, in Hebrew custom, if you went to someone's house to eat with them, it was an act of friendship. Jesus was asking Zacchaeus to be his friend. I have to eat with you. I have to, I have, to have a meal with you. We have to share a meal together. No self-respecting Jew would ever be caught eating a meal with the tax collector. Because if they did, they would be excommunicated as well. But Jesus didn't care about the customs of the time. He wanted to break those customs that were causing separation and division. He came in to heal those kind of things. So he offers Zacchaeus friendship. But it was an open invitation he didn't say, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house tonight. Get ready for me. No. He said, I would like to come to your house tonight. Jesus never forces himself on us. He never kicks in the door like Biggie does. Right? Sorry. That's the Brooklyn in me. Sorry. Put it away. Right? Jesus, he never does that. He's a gentleman. He asks if he could come in. We have to open the door. We have to receive him. My second point is, Jesus still has that open, open invitation for us today. The invitation that he gave to Zacchaeus is open for us. In Revelations 3.20, it tells us, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. This is Jesus talking. Like I said, he stands at the door and he's just knocking and saying, hey, would you let me in? Our job is to open that door and to let him in. 
It says Zacchaeus was filled with excitement and joy. Zacchaeus must have been really, really lonely to be separated and excommunicated from his friends, from his family members, from people that he grew up with and loved. He probably had a lot of tax collector friends and non-Jewish friends that he spent time with. But there's something about being with your people, your neighborhood, right? If you grew up in, in New York and you, you grew up in a particular neighborhood, there's nothing like going back to your neighborhood and, you know, the old ladies are still in the window, you know, uh, in the summer, you know, playing their merengue or salsa music or the, the kids that were on the stoop when you grow up, they're still on the stoop talking and hanging out. And there's a new generation of kids talking and all that stuff. There's nothing like that. And Zacchaeus is going around and there's no friendship. There's nothing like it. So when Jesus says, I want to be your friend, Zacchaeus jumps down off the tree. He's excited. He's full of joy. He's like, somebody wants to be my friend. Somebody's accepted me. Somebody's willing to give me a chance. And the only thing I could think about is that that was probably a conversation Zacchaeus had with himself the night before. Before going to sleep, like most of us do. Before you go to sleep, the things that run through your mind. Zacchaeus is like, I'm so lonely. I just want a friend. I want someone I could be transparent and honest with. I want someone that could identify with everything that I'm going through. And then Jesus passes by. And that's his moment. And he didn't let Jesus continue down that road. He welcomed him into his home. But we can't dismiss the reaction of the crowd. They were displeased. They weren't happy with what was happening. They're like, how is this man, this holy man, this prophet, this healer, going to go and spend time with a notorious sinner? They couldn't get over the fact that that was Zacchaeus, the chief tax collector. That was Zacchaeus, the man who robbed me year after year. Maybe some of us in this room, there's people in our lives that can't get over the hurt that you may have caused them when you were in the midst of your sin. It's real. It hurts. It could be a loved one, someone in your family that you hurt. You didn't necessarily mean to hurt them. But when you're in sin, you can't help but who you hurt. And Zacchaeus hurt these people, and they couldn't get over it. They were upset. But see, when Jesus enters in, like I was saying earlier, the old becomes new. We see a new Zacchaeus. My third point is salvation is more than words, but there's actions behind it. Zacchaeus goes and he... He's befriended by Jesus, and this friendship, this, this acceptance causes something in his heart to change. And he tells Jesus, he's like, I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. Why would a man who's rich, who doesn't have a need to, to give anything to the poor, instantly when he meets Jesus, his heart changes, his heart softens. 
And he's like, I'm going to give. But then what does he say to follow that up? He says, if I've cheated or robbed anybody, I'll give them four times more than what I took from them. I'm going to give them back what I took plus four times more. We see this man who had no relationship all of a sudden start a relationship with Jesus. And there's this immediate change. Zacchaeus, his looks didn't change. His height didn't change. None of those things, those attributes changed. But you saw a reaction from this in- encounter with Jesus that it wasn't transactional. It was, re- it was transformational. And then Jesus makes this statement that I think we can easily blow by. First, he says, salvation has come to this house today. He acknowledges salvation in this moment. But then he says, and he's a true son of Abraham. Jesus restored his relationship with his brothers and his sisters. In that moment, because Jesus stepped on the scene, there was a repentance by Zacchaeus, like us. There's a restoration. Jesus restored him to his people, and he also restored him to his Father in heaven. What the people were grumbling about because they were robbed from this tax collector, Jesus is like, okay, it happened. You got to accept them back now. He's, he's, He's a son again. He was excommunicated, but now he's a son. He's brand new. He's not the same tax collector he was. And nowhere in the story does it say that Zacchaeus stops being a tax collector. Nowhere in the story does it say that Zacchaeus all of a sudden um, became an apostle, became a disciple. None of those things do we read in the story. All we see is Zacchaeus acknowledges the wrong that he's done. He vows to make it right to Jesus. And Jesus restores him. And Jesus ends and he lets us know his mission. He said, I came to seek and save the lost. Jesus is looking for the lost. And the lost that he's looking for, he knows them by name. And Jesus saves the lost. He just doesn't seek them out, but he saves them as well. I'm close to getting ready to close up. At my old job, there was this guy I worked with. We'll call him Pete. Pete worked in our IT department. And Pete was a womanizer of womanizers. I've never seen anybody like that in my life before. Every female at my job, he made a comment to. Every female felt unsafe around him. And whenever he talked to a guy in the company, he always, was, he always would comment on the women in your department. It was uncomfortable to have conversations with him. And he worked in IT. So if anybody knows, you always got to call IT. I think I call IT like three or four times a day, even now, and I work from home. Doesn't matter. Always calling IT. And it had been like that for years. 
where, you know, the, the ladies would call other people's direct lines to get assistance so they wouldn't have to call the help desk line and possibly get on the phone with him. That's how bad it was. And then one day, our company decided we were going to transition and get new machines, and there was work that IT had to do, and this person was assigned to our department to help us transition. And I had to go around to everybody's computer and help them out. And he came to my computer one day, and we were talking, and he asked me, John, why don't you curse? Why don't you talk about the women in your department? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And I began to share why I don't do those things, what Jesus meant to me. And to my surprise, he starts telling me a story. And he says, um, he says, well, you know, I'm married and I have kids. But every, almost every day of the week, I'm out with a different woman. I, you know, someone's music playing. Um, I'm out with a different woman every day of the week. He says, and one night this past week or the week before, I went out, and I, when I got home, I put the TV on. And it was on, and there was a televangelist on TV. And he says, and everything in me, usually I would just change the channel or turn the TV off. But I don't know why I was glued in my seat, and I couldn't get my eyes off of the screen, and I couldn't help but hear what he was saying. And this man was sharing the gospel on TV. And he says, as he's sharing, he's telling the story and he, he's looking at the TV and his eyes just start, he starts crying he's, and he couldn't stop crying. And he said, I recognized how disgustingly sinful I was in that moment. And I gave my life to Jesus and he's like, and then I started to, tell my wife everything that I had done. And he was breaking down while we're talking. And I had noticed that for a while he was really quiet and wasn't, you know, really interacting with anybody. And I thought, if I could be honest, that HR had spoke to him. I thought somebody reported him and finally HR had spoken to him. But it wasn't that. He had this encounter with Jesus. But one thing he said to me was, how do I make it right with the people that I work with? I couldn't answer that question because I don't, it's really hard to apologize to unbelievers and kind of get them to see that Jesus changed your heart. But I just told them, you know, you just got to apologize and you got to show them that you're different. You can't just expect them to know, you have to show them. And as I was putting this sermon together, I couldn't help but think of Pete and the transformation that I saw from the guy for years that was one way. And then in an instant, when Jesus showed up in the scene, he was completely different. And he couldn't just magically forget all the stuff that he'd done before. There was an opportunity for him to make it right by going to those people and apologizing. He couldn't take back what he said or what he did, but he could apologize and he could walk differently from that moment on. And that would have to be enough for them. 
And as I close, and Ben, you can come up. Jess and Ilea, you can come up. I can't help but think that there's Zacchaeus is in this room today. That you were hoping to get a glimpse of Jesus. And you were hoping to get maybe the feelings, if I could say that without being irreverent, the feelings that Jesus gives you. When you're in the room with a bunch of believers, you get the feelings, right? Maybe it's a little bit of an emotional feeling or whatever it is, but you get the feelings. But today, as Jesus is passing by us, he's saying your name in this moment. And he's, that invitation that I said is open, he's asking if he could come in. And you have to either allow him in or you can leave the door locked. And that's completely up to you. Not pressuring anybody in this room today. There's nothing special about coming up to the front or coming to the side that makes your life any different. It's Jesus who makes it different. Doesn't matter if the pastor ever prays for you or never prays for you. Doesn't matter if the prophetess ever prays for you or doesn't pray for you. That stuff doesn't matter. It's when Jesus enters the room, if you open the door and let him in, your life will never be the same. I promise you will go from old to new. I promise that when you go to new, he's going to be with you. Like I said, he restores your relationship with the Father in heaven, but then he sends the Spirit of God to live inside of you and to walk with you and to teach you what it's like to follow Jesus. But I can't forget the crowd crowd was a bunch of religious people that couldn't get past the sin that had been done to them. In these next two weeks, I hope that we're not like that crowd that gets hung up on somebody's sin and doesn't think that they're good enough for Jesus. Because if we're truly honest with ourselves, we were just like them all those years ago. And if somebody had murmured under their breath, how could Jesus give them a shot? Let's be better, brothers and sisters. Let's be better, Christians. These next two weeks, instead of worrying about having dinner with your family alone, going to celebrate and having Easter lunch or Easter dinner with your family that you do every single year, and there's no talk of Jesus, and there's no talk of what the, the day actually means, why don't you go and have dinner with somebody who needs a friend? Who needs someone to show them that Jesus loves them? Who needs someone to know that there's someone on their side that'll walk with them, that'll welcome them in? I don't want to be like that crowd that was displeased with what Jesus was doing. I want to follow Jesus' example and I want to be able to eat with those people and welcome them in. They may not be perfect because I'm not perfect. But one thing that I know that they are is they're his. And if they're his, that's more than enough for me. So can we bow our heads?
as the worship is going on, I'll be on the side and some of our prayer team and leaders will be on the side and we'll be open for prayer. And whatever the, the thing is that you need prayer for, whether you're Zacchaeus or you're like the crowd or there's some other thing that maybe I touched on or didn't touch on, but you know you need prayer, please don't leave this place not being prayed with or for. Don't be ashamed. Don't think people are watching you and judging you. We all need prayer. We all were Zacchaeus at one point in time. Some of us are probably 10 times worse than Zacchaeus. But Jesus still welcomes us with open arms. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for this story, God. You walked through Jericho just for one man. Though there were crowds watching you, there were crowds probably reaching for you or screaming your name. You walked through that, those crowds and you just looked up and found that one man, that one insignificant man. And you're doing the same today with all of us, God. You're walking through each and every row here, Lord God online as people's homes, Lord God. You're walking through. And that invitation that I read from Revelation 3, you're standing at the door and you're knocking. Just hoping. Just waiting for someone to open the door to welcome you in so that you can befriend them, share a meal with them, and you can make them brand new in you. So we pray, have your way, Jesus today in our meeting, in our heart, in our lives. We look to you, Jesus. Amen.